You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel and Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney and Evans and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You will find all of your uh, tractor and needs and lifts and everything you could possibly think of at McAllister.com. Also, we're pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You can find Leaders and Legends at AllIndianaPodcastNetwork.com. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast today. Today's a special recording about a man who perhaps more than any other fulfills the title of this podcast is a Hoosier legend. He certainly was a terrific leader. And we are speaking of former governor Joe Kernan, who passed away just a few days ago after a battle with Alzheimer's And on the podcast. We have Kip too, who all of you know and love, at least I do. Tina Noel, who worked for governor Kernan and is one of the best PR professionals you could ever know. And the person who I think now holds the record for most appearances on the Leaders and Legends podcast, mostly because he's retired and doesn't really have anything else going on, and that is Jim Shella, who I think this is your fourth time on. I think that's right. Great to be here. It's great to see you, Jim. How are you? Just real quick, how are you doing after your surgery? I'm uh, doing much better. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I missed, uh, I was unable to drive for eight weeks and I'm back on the road, so be careful. <laughs> well, the purpose of the podcast today, what I really want to talk about is, is to talk to three people who knew Joe Kernan well, who uh, are very loyal to him. And in Jim's case, Jim Shello's case, covered him both as lieutenant governor and governor and talk about the man, his experiences, his legacy. So what I'm going to do first is ask Tina to talk just a little bit about how she met uh, Governor Kernan, and then Kip follow, and then Jim, please follow after that. Tina, thank you very much. Thanks, Robert, and thanks for putting this together. Um, needless to say, I'm thrilled that you're spending some time honoring Joe. Um, I met Joe technically first when I was an intern at WSBT TV in South Bend. I am sure he does not remember that because I was sent out with the photographer. Uh, did an intern interview and we were on our way when he was a mayor. Uh, but later, when uh, I was a television news producer, I actually, uh, unbeknownst to me, an anchor named Mike Collins, who had a long history in the South Bend TV market for both WSBT and WNDU, uh, Mike Collins and Joe Kernan were Notre Dame classmates. And Joe asked Mike, hey, is there anybody I should talk to? who might be interested or I might like to have as my press secretary down in Indianapolis. Uh, so Joe was mayor, just newly uh, elected lieutenant governor, 
and I went and thanks to Mike went and interviewed with Joe in his living room in South Bend uh, and the rest is history. I moved to Indianapolis at the start of 1997 to become Joe's press secretary and pretty much served, uh, had the pleasure and honor of serving him for nearly the entire eight years. He was Lieutenant Governor uh, and Governor and right at the very end joined the campaign with Kip. Great segue, Kip. Uh, I, you know, I was trying to remember the first time I met Joe Kernan. I remember who I was with and where it was, but I don't remember whether it was the 90 campaign or the 92 campaign. Uh, I was with, I was driving Joe Hogshead, as a matter of fact. Um, and we had a meeting with the South Bend mayor, and that was the first time I uh, had an occasion to meet Joe Kernan. And of course, we met in a bar. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, he was very impressive. And I, you know, uh, so as things happen in politics, someone had put together a dossier, if you will, maybe that's the wrong word, but a background paper on who the guy was and what his, you know, what his background was. And uh, reading it on the way, I thought this is going to be a, a pretty impressive meeting. And he was just, uh, uh, he was just a regular guy uh, in the bar, uh, someone that was very easy to talk to. Um, and, um, I didn't have much contact with him, uh, until 96 when he was, uh, he was named to be, um, obviously Lieutenant Governor, a running mate of Frank O'Bannon. Um, and then, um, from that point on, uh, we became fast friends, uh, and it was the honor of my life to be associated with Joe Kernan. He, um, just one of the most outstanding human beings anybody could ever meet. Um, and thank you for having me on this. <laughs> no, I'm glad you, I'm glad you could make it Kip. We're going to have Kip on again. And when the time's right, and he's going to sit down with again, Jim Shella and my former boss, Murray Clark for what I'm sure will be a rollicking uh, conversation. Anyway, Jim, go ahead. Well, this might surprise you. I met Joe Kernan in a bar too. Um, <laughs> I, 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 may I say real quick, I met Joe Kernan the first time in a bar. Yeah. Uh, in my case, it was in Going Washington. On. Yeah. Uh, it was in Washington, D.C. Uh, I was out there covering uh, uh, an inauguration, uh, I believe, in the early 90s and uh, um, covering a group of Indiana Democrats who were there taking part and uh, had several people tell me uh, we're going to uh, a bar called The Dubliner on Capitol Hill. Uh, and they, they told me I needed to come along because I'd get an opportunity to meet Joe Kernan. Um, he was then mayor of South Bend and, uh, um, I, everybody, uh, in that group, uh, thought he was destined for bigger things and, uh, that you know, as a political reporter, he was somebody I needed to meet. And, uh, turns out that all, all came about. One thing that's very central to uh, Governor Kernan's story is his time at Notre Dame. He graduated in 1968 with a degree in government, which I think is the same. Is that the same year as Michael Browning or maybe one year before or after? I know we discussed this with Michael when he came on the podcast, but how important was Notre Dame and that school and that education to him, Tina? Did you get that sense from being up there? You know, um, yes, absolutely. Uh, but when I think about Notre Dame, <laughs> It isn't as much of the education as it is the lifelong friendships he formed there. Um, 
and secondarily, it was it formed his future with the as mayor of South Bend. Uh, he was crucial to Notre Dame and South Bend starting to work together more to improve the city. Um, there is no doubt. I mean, Joe was, of course, the biggest Notre Dame football fan. Um, but I look at his legacy, if you will, as more how Notre Dame and South Bend became more unified and taking on problems within the city. Notre Dame, you know, stepping up to the plate to volunteer more. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, great impact on his life, but, uh, the friendships are what I always remember about what his takeaway from Notre Dame was. And the Notre Dame, I mean, alumni reach, it just has to be substantial. Are there, are there people in Indiana or maybe Indianapolis, both that, or excuse me, who Joe Kernan would, would reference like, yeah, I knew him at Notre Dame, or this guy's a big Notre Dame booster, whether, you know, I, I'm thinking of Michael Browning, I'm thinking of Jim Schellinger, and I know there's several others. Yes. It's also it a, a good fundraising <laughs> network. <laughs> uh, Notre Dame uh, alumni, uh, second to only Wabash, I think, stick together in this state uh, as far as uh, helping each other out. So it was definitely, uh, you know, a network, I would say he exploited, but I don't think that's the right word. It was a network that was, that knew him, knew his character, knew what kind of person he was and couldn't wait to help him because they knew what an outstanding human being he was. And so saying he exploited is really kind of the wrong word in every way, but um, it, 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 it was, uh, you know, Notre Dame was central to his identity uh, in a lot of ways. Um, he obviously was a good Irish Catholic himself um, and that school uh, kind of personifies Irish Catholics in the United States of America. And, um, uh, and he was just, I don't know if I've ever met a bigger sports fan uh, in my life either. And uh, anybody more loyal to his <laughs> college alma mater uh, when it came to football than, than Joe was. Um, and of course he played baseball there as well. Um, and so uh, uh, it was central to his identity, I think is the best way to put it. Did any of you ever get a chance to watch a, a Notre Dame football game with him? And if so, what was that like? Uh, well, it was the Did IU you? Notre Dame football game. <laughs> and I was an IU fan. So uh, he oh, when they played in the early 90s, right? They played a game at Notre Dame in the early 90s, I recall. They did. And we went, we, you know, I mean, walking oh. around tailgating with Joe Kernan uh, at a University of Notre Dame football game was a treat in and of itself because there wasn't anybody in the parking lot that didn't know who Joe Kernan was. Um, and so it was just a treat to walk around with him. But um, uh, I ended up having seats a little bit away from him, but I, I, re I recall at halftime, he wasn't very happy because the game was close, but it, it, <laughs> it went the other way. In the, second half. <laughs> the, uh, the, the tailgates were serious business with, along with Greg, Greg Downs, one of his longtime and great friends, but it was hilarious. You know, I only went to a few and they were, Great setups, lots of food, lots of drinks. But when it was time to get into that game, it was shut it down. We are not missing kickoff. We are going. We're going in, and we're going in now. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that made uh, that makes uh, Joe Kernan such a Hoosier legend, and as a fact, he's a member of the Indiana Veterans Hall of Fame, if memory serves, was his service in the Navy. 
as a flight officer aboard the USS Kitty Hawk and his time as a prisoner of war in North Vietnam. Did he talk much about that experience, either his pride of joining the military or, or and the horrors of being a prisoner of war? Well, if I could jump in at this point, and uh, Tina, feel free to correct me if, I, if I'm wrong about this, but I don't think he really talked publicly about his prisoner of war experience until he, he decided to run for governor the second time after he had become uh, the incumbent. And uh, he, he understood uh, that that experience needed to be part of the campaign. And he decided, uh, it, it's my understanding, he, he decided to do two interviews uh, to talk about it for the first time, one with me and one with Jack Colwell, who was uh, the political writer for the South, South Bend Tribune. And I went up to, to South Bend to Joe's home and sat down with him um, on the anniversary of the day he was released as a prisoner of war. He, uh, uh, he took that day as a, as a personal holiday every year. Um, and we all know uh, what, what a, a great guy, what a great sense of humor Joe had. That was a very solemn occasion. That is, that is one of the more solemn interviews I've ever conducted. He, he, uh, had, um, he had the uniform, the striped uniform that, that he wore uh, as a, a POW, he had a, uh, a tin cup that he had used a nail uh, to carve his name in. In uh, some other mementos that, that he had saved that, that really helped explain that circumstance. He talked about how uh, the only thing they were fed was pumpkin soup. And uh, he hated anything pumpkin <laughs> from then on. You couldn't get him to eat pumpkin pie. Um, he, uh, it, but he, that was an interview, uh, that was very, by unusual. the way, Jim, yeah. by the way, the pumpkin soup wasn't what you might consider pumpkin soup. It was tepid water with slices of pumpkin in it. That was, and that's ants. how he described it to me. And ants floating in it. Yeah. 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 For um, 11 but, months. But, but the other thing that made that, that interview unusual was there was no staff there. It was it was a news photographer and him and me and it was it was a very personal conversation about his experience. Um, and, and 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 if I can also interject this, uh, he didn't really want to do it. I mean, uh, he never wanted to exploit it. Um, he was he was embarrassed that um, and pushed back for years about it being uh, something. You know, the rest of us were like, Joe, this is this is an incredibly moving um piece of your history it it helps define the kind of person that you are and he just didn't want you know as most as most people that are um comfortable in their own skin as he was who know who they are didn't need to brag about it didn't need to highlight it didn't want to didn't want to exploit it uh i would tell you it was people like me that kind of forced him <laughs> forced well, him to do it and said we need it we need people to know who you who you are like we know and when we talk about 2004, I definitely bring that up. Kip, please tell me if, if, if I'm wrong. You were Indiana State Democratic Party chairman in 2004 when uh, yes. Kernan ran against Mitch Daniels. Okay. Did, was, based on the chronology that I researched, Joe Kernan was at the Hanoi Hilton at the same time as John McCain. Yes. Did they, did they 
know each other very well afterward? Did they ever talk about that sort of thing? Or, or another person would be uh, James Stockdale, who was kind of an answer to a trivia question in the sense that he was <laughs> Ross Perot's running mate in 92. But he also received the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor uh, for his time in military service. But was there any sort of connection there at all between McCain and Kernan? I'm pretty sure they met is all, Robert. I don't think it was more than that. Um, you probably remember that after the governor's, after his time in the governor's office, he, uh, though did an ad supportive uh, when President Trump was critical of Mm -hmm. uh, John McCain being captured. Uh, that was one of the few times he stepped out into politics again after the governor's office uh, because he felt so strongly that the words that President Trump used to describe prisoner of words, or excuse me, prisoners of war were horrible. Uh, and again, it takes a lot for him to come out and uh, get into the political fray, but he was supportive, of course, of John McCain. And my recollection of the Hanoi Hilton, from what I uh, can remember and learn, uh, you got to know maybe your roommates and you didn't get a lot of outdoor recreation time to meet a bunch of the other folks. Did, and for those of you who don't know, we spent 11 months, Governor Kernan spent, or Joe Kernan spent 11 months in North Vietnam. He received the Navy Commendation Medal, two Purple Hearts, and the Distinguished Flying Cross. How much do you think that his service in the military and you know the, the POW experienced influenced his decision later on to go into public service? Kip? Well, uh, I know I said earlier that central to his life was his, you know, being a Notre Dame person. Uh, I think probably more central to his life was he, he I think, figured out pretty early on in his life that the purpose of his life was to serve others. Um, and he, he, I think, figured out a way to do that um, uh, by being this first the city controller and then the mayor of the city of South Bend and then lieutenant governor and governor. Um, and, you know, some people um, look at politicians and think, well, they're just ambitious and they're serving their own interests and, you can never ascribe to politicians uh, positive motives about wanting to help other people. But it's been my experience that the majority of politicians actually at least start out um, in this business uh, wanting to help other folks. Um, and then some of them lose their way. But I can tell you, Joe never lost his way. Um, his entire his entire life was about trying to make the world a little bit better place. Part of his legacy, part of his legacy is, is the fact that he was uh, a reluctant statewide office holder. Uh, um, Bob Kovach, the former mayor of Mishawaka, uh, was on the committee to find a running mate for Frank O'Bannon. <clears throat> and it, it was quite a sales job, uh, as I understand it. Kovach told me how uh, it, it, the deal was sealed, uh, again, believe it or not, in a bar. You got uh, O'Bannon and, and, uh, and <laughs> Kernan together at, at Lock Miller's Pub across from, from the state capitol. Um, and, and, uh, it took some convincing to, to, to get Joe to, to become Frank O'Bannon's running mate. And we all know that, you know, he dropped out of the governor's race, uh, before he, he ascended to the governorship and then decided to get back into it. So I, you know, I think he would, public service was certainly 
uh, part of his makeup, but he did not have the ambition that other politicians have. Yeah, he was he was happiest as mayor of South Bend. And, and I'll build on what Jim was saying about the whole convincing story. Um, I mean, but it was, it was, I bet if anyone else other than Frank O'Bannon asked, I don't think he would have done it. I mean, that was his admiration and respect for Frank O'Bannon that pushed him over the edge to want to be his running mate. Did they develop a friendship while uh, Frank O'Bannon was lieutenant governor or how did they know each other? Yes. I mean, yes, when, when Frank was lieutenant governor, and I think they, they got to know each other during the vetting process for, um, for his running mate. Um, but uh, I, I, I would amend by saying I, my recollection, conversations I had with him, he actually loved being a lieutenant governor. He enjoyed that immensely as well. I think the, the year he was governor was not an enjoyable experience in large, in, in large measure, and it was because of external externalities, not had he gotten the full term as governor, I think he would have enjoyed it uh, much more. But he was thrust into a situation where he had to uh, work with the staff that wasn't his right away. Uh, he had to transition that staff to a new staff. He had to put together a campaign staff, make the decision to run because he had already made the decision not to run. He had to quell the infighting inside the Democratic Party uh, because of uh, because of the primary that was uh, he was trying to conclude all of those things, plus having to be the governor and having to um, uh, run a campaign made made his years year and three months, four months as governor pretty difficult for him. And I don't think he he looked back on that with a lot of uh, joy, but I think he really loved being the lieutenant governor. I think he 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 in fact, I don't know, Tina, I don't want to argue with you, but I think he actually enjoyed the lieutenant governor more than being there uh, uh, because it wasn't. Uh, because it wasn't as um, intense as he told me one time when I was thinking about running for mayor of Indianapolis, he goes, Kip, one piece of advice I have for you is when somebody's toilet backs up, they think it's the mayor's problem. You got to be ready uh, uh, at, at, at all times of the day to respond to constituents. And it's a pretty uh, all consuming job. Whereas Lieutenant governor's job wasn't as all consuming. He did have more time to have fun as Lieutenant governor. That's I think fair. that's fair. Yeah, no, that's fair. But I also think, and it builds on two things you were saying, being mayor, he was able to fix things himself yes. and had yes. a, it was very hands-on and felt you felt like you could make a difference more quickly in people's lives. Um, and I think you're right. That was the year of being governor was difficult because he wanted to be governor. He wanted to, he wanted to do the things to make that would make people's lives better, but he was also running for governor at the same time. So I think you're right. He would have loved being governor uh, because he felt he could make a difference. Do you think he enjoyed being mayor? He was elected in 87, 91, and 95. In the late 80s and early 90s were halcyon days for the Notre Dame football program. Do you think that <laughs> played any any factor in <laughs> That he was just down the street and didn't have to drive all the way Probably. from Indianapolis? <laughs> Probably. Probably. Well, you, you know, I think reading, reading uh, the stories about him this week, one of the things that really struck me is that when he was first elected mayor, he won a little over 50% of the vote. When he ran for a second term, I think he won over 70%. When he ran for a third term, he won over 80%. Um, I think the, the folks of, of South Bend enjoyed having him as their mayor as much yep. as he enjoyed doing the job. 
No doubt. And I can't tell you, uh, Robert, the number of times I've had uh, random people come up to me um, over the years, uh, even when he was lieutenant governor and governor and saying, you know, uh, I saw Joe Kernan on the street picking up trash. And he was <laughs> he would uh, uh, he did it when he was mayor. He did it when he was lieutenant governor and he did it when he was governor. If he saw a piece of trash on the ground flying around, he would uh, race to get it and put it in a trash bin. And that kind of stuff kind of adds up over the years. You're a three-term mayor of the city of South Bend, even though you don't want attention for it and you don't do anything to get attention for it, people see you and they see what you do. Yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't talk about it. He never talked about it to me. I'd hear it from other people. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guests today are Tina Noel, Kipper V2, my friend, (laughs) and Jim Shella who has been on the podcast more than once, retired political reporter for Channel 8, our current podcast partner. Our topic today is the life and legacy of a phenomenal Hoosier, and that is Governor Joe Kernan, who passed away just a few days ago. Is there, or can you relate, was there a particular Hoosier leader or legend whom Joe Kernan particularly admired? I think Birch Bayh comes to mind uh, pretty quickly. Uh, they had a good relationship. I think he he respected uh, uh, Birch enormously. Uh, Frank O'Bannon would be another one uh, that he admired, obviously agreed to be his lieutenant governor. Those two come to mind. There are probably some other people from South Bend, John Bradamus, I would guess, uh, although he didn't talk a lot about John Bradamus. I think he's somebody that he had enormous respect for as well. Tina, you might be able to no, shed I some light there. Kip, no, Kip, that's a that's a tricky one for me. So, I, no, I go with what you're saying. How about if I throw out the name uh, Maggie Kernan? <laughs> is, that a, is that a Hoosier leader or legend who Governor Kernan particularly admired? They're a great love story. I, yes. Yeah, I can't Tina. Even, yeah, can't even... I, that'll, I, mean, that'll I don't know if I can get through it. Yeah, I don't. That, <laughs> let me let me I, let me let me tell you one story. Um, when when he became governor, uh, we, he was conducting news conferences on almost a daily basis. Uh, he was in the Indianapolis media uh, all the time, and if you were a reporter from Indianapolis, you got an opportunity to get all your questions answered. Uh, but he chose not to do any sit down one on one interviews until he went back to South Bend. And I think it was uh, two or three weeks after he took office. Um, And uh, he went up there and he talked to the South Bend media one-on-one first. Those of us from Indianapolis who came up also got a chance to talk to him uh, one-on-one, but we had to go up there to do it. So um, the the news photographer I worked with uh, in those days, Jim Hester and I got up to South Bend early and uh, went and got lunch downtown uh, South Bend at a Chinese restaurant. And we walk into the foyer of this restaurant, and there's a large photograph there of Joe and Maggie Kernan sitting in a booth surrounded by beer bottles. <laughs> and when I got my chance to interview the governor, I, I, I sat down in front of him, and, I, and I, I made a comment about the restaurant in this photograph and, and said something about his beer bottle collection. And he didn't miss a beat. He said, oh, those are all Maggie's. <laughs> <laughs> Did she deny it? 
<laughs> she wasn't there. She wasn't there to defend herself. <laughs> Jim, you covered the 1996 campaign. Uh, the Republicans had controlled the governor's office for 16 straight years in 1988. A young upstart, if we may call him that, named Evan Bayh, uh upset jo- John Mutz, a uh, former podcast guest here at Leaders and Legends, and really changed the fortunes of the Indiana Democratic Party. Uh, Evan Bayh's running mate was Frank O'Bannon. In 1996, Frank O'Bannon runs against very popular Indianapolis Mayor Stephen Goldsmith. Jim, talk a little bit, please, about your remembering your remembrance of that campaign, and were you surprised at the result? When when Frank O'Bannon beat Steve Goldsmith, um, I, I was not. Um, I wish TV uh, had done some polling uh, late in the race that showed Frank O'Bannon with a lead, and that's the that's the only election I remember where we purchased exit polling, and our exit polling. Uh, mid-afternoon on election day matched uh, our polling from the previous week. Um, and so I, I went live from the Goldsmith headquarters that night, uh, right after the polls closed, and I said, Frank O'Bannon's going to win tonight. And uh, the, the Goldsmith campaign staff came out with their hair on fire. They, did, they obviously didn't think they were going to lose. Um, no, I was not surprised. I, w- I was not surprised. Um, in Kip, August, you wouldn't have predicted it, though, would you have? Kip, no, I was that, just going to well, ask you that. That's probably right. That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that campaign, of course, is uh, one of my all-time statewide favorites because Frank O'Bannon came in as the uh, heavy underdog, uh, incumbent mayor of Indianapolis. I, I don't know how popular he was, but he was sort of powerful would be more how I would say rather than popular. I don't think he was even popular among the Republican Party in some 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 corners uh, of uh, like he had a primary against uh, a certain former state chair, uh, as a matter of fact, if I recall correctly. But, um, you know, we 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 got a couple of breaks in that 96 campaign for sure. There was a there was a uh, pol- police brawl after a Indianapolis Indians game that the mayor of Indianapolis didn't handle uh, particularly well. And they also screwed up mightily um, on a, a TV ad back when there was um, some degree of um, the media holding people's feet to the fire if they put out dishonest ads back then. And Goldsmith's um, uh, research guy had messed up mightily um, and they put Frank O'Bannon down for uh, voting for a tax increase that he in fact did not vote for because they got the number wrong, uh, uh, the bill <laughs> the, the bill number wrong. And so we had, uh, we had a great time with forcing them to take the ad down because it was false and misleading. And um, that those two things, I think, uh, helped us a lot. But Frank, you know, I mean, Frank's ads also were fantastic television ads, some of the best uh, best uh, that have ever been produced in the, in the state of Indiana, in my judgment. And, and uh, Frank was very disciplined. Tom knew as his campaign manager. Tom was very, very disciplined. He was a fantastic campaign manager. Um, and uh, he kept the ball rolling. Uh, on on that, and we did. I think it was an upset. It wasn't an upset election day. I agree with Jim. Uh, you know, we we got, we got a lead sometime in September, and I don't think we ever relinquished it. It might have been a, a little later in September, but we never relinquished the lead. It was always pretty close 
Um, uh, but it was a great campaign without a doubt. Well, and, and for what it's worth, when you talk about expectations leading up to election day, you'll remember uh, Goldsmith had a pollster who told him he was ahead. And, uh, and it was a, a headline later that Goldsmith got his money back from that pollster. <laughs> We should have got our money back in 2004 from our pollster. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let but, me ask you a but, question. Was was well, was well, Joe Kernan? Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, one of the things I wanted to make sure we mentioned uh, today is that at the end of that election, at, on inauguration day, I, I, I know you got to remember inauguration day. Frank O'Bannon decided to do the first outdoor inauguration in Indianapolis. And I, it, the high temperature that day was something like minus one, right? And uh, the one line that everybody remembers from that is when Joe Kernan got an opportunity to speak, <laughs> he went up to the microphone and said, we have picnics on days like this in South Bend, yep. <laughs> which is, is a you know classic Kernan line. He, he uh, mentioned his hometown and, and uh, got yep. a laugh and, and kind of you know brought up what everybody was thinking about, which was how much they were shivering. Uh, <laughs> well, the one I was going to ask about '96 and Kernan was was Mayor Kernan. Frank O'Bannon's first choice or was there other people who they kind of went through and they had a, a bigger process? I think he was his first choice. I think, I think he turned it down a couple of times and they kept coming back to him actually. And was it sort of a regional thing? I mean, O'Bannon's from Southern Indiana and now you have someone, I mean, regional balance is always this big deal in Indiana gubernatorial politics. Uh, there, there was definitely a plus but I think it was a character thing. I think it was also somebody that Frank O'Bannon thought uh, could step in uh, his shoes, someone who could be a successor, uh, someone that he wanted to see as the future of the Democratic Party, uh, someone he wanted to see as replace him as governor, somebody that had high character, uh, high ability, uh, and he picked him for all those reasons, and he was right on every single score. You know, we were talking about uh... – Joe Kernan's love of being mayor, love of being lieutenant governor. Uh, if if he was here and he was on the Leaders and Legends podcast, an, an opportunity that I wish I would have had, of course. What would you? What do you think he would say were his biggest accomplishments as lieutenant governor? Well, um, winning the softball tournament, right? <laughs> yeah, which I had to be reminded of. Um, well, he had a significant portfolio as lieutenant governor, and that's I think well, that gave him an opportunity. He did, and he did, and a lot of that was, you know, I he you start with your normal roles of the Department of Commerce, head of agriculture, president of the state senate. Uh, but Frank O'Bannon trusted him uh, to take on other uh, important tasks. Um, one of them was uh, working with the Department of Veterans Affairs. He literally, obviously, because of his service, he said, you know, I want you to take care of this. I want you to look into the department, look at it, see what we can do better, see how we can serve veterans better. That wasn't a traditional lieutenant governor role. Um, tax reform was something that Frank O'Bannon tasked Governor Kernan with, um, and he did not take that lightly, as you might imagine. Uh, and in true Joe Kernan form, he sought out the best and the brightest minds, bipartisan minds to work with him to, to develop a solution to the property tax issues we were having at the time. Um, and, and income. 
taxes as well. I mean, it was a, it was yeah. complete it was overhaul. A, it wasn't, yeah, it was a tax reform, not property tax only. You're right. And did, um, did he find him, did he consider himself, did, did Lieutenant Governor Kernan consider himself kind of a friend of the mayors in the state house sort of role? I mean, mayors tend to stick together because they've dealt with so many of the same problems. So here he is as Lieutenant Governor, he's in the state house. Did he want people, mayors of bigger cities or, or any cities or towns to be able to talk to him and he understood what their problems and concerns were? You don't think, be a three-term mayor. I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead, Tina. No, I was, I was going to say, I, just, I think for sure, but I, I'm trying to picture, you know, when we're talking specific examples of that happening, but I am sure he did. He, re, he obviously understood what those communities were going through. Um, my my no, big memory, yes. my big memory of the tax reform uh, fight was that it failed in the House uh, by one, two, maybe three votes. I have to go back and look, and uh, one person reversed so they could bring it back up because that's the rules in the House to be able to do it. I think it failed the first time for lack of a constitutional majority. Maybe Jim remembers this better than I do, but a couple hours passed, maybe three or four hours passed. Um, uh, I was on I was on the commission, uh, and part of my job on the commission was trying to help get the votes to pass the thing. And uh, uh, I remember going to Matt Whetstone, who was in the legislature at the time, and a couple other people, and lobbying them hard. And a couple hours later, the vote went back up on the board and passed it. <laughs> uh, it was it was needed bipartisan support, and it got just enough. I could I share something real fast, and this is a personal story, Please. but and it's tied to tax reform. Um, you know, obviously messaging was important and we had worked on this for a long time, getting ready to roll it out, going to, you know, set up visits around the state to explain why this is important, why it needed to pass. And I don't even, it, it could have been a year we were working on it. I'm not sure if anyone remembers, but, uh, at some point it was actually, it was 2001 because it was September 11th. And that delayed us a little further from uh, this rollout of this tax reform plan. And it got pushed, the rollout got pushed to a point where I had plane tickets to Las Vegas. The person, the person who was supposed to be intimately involved in this rollout was now planning to go to Las Vegas. And not only that, going with one of my very best friends, because I met her through Joe, Megan Garber. Uh, we were both, along with probably some other people who were working in the state house, we had tickets to Vegas. And was that, Joe, was Joe that the Euchre Club, Tina? Most, it was probably Euchre Club people. Yeah. Robin, your wife, was probably involved. But Joe insisted, number one, that we go. He would not have any part of us not, not going to Vegas. And, and to this day, I'll never forget, while we, we came up from the pool in Vegas and Joe Kernan it passed while we were, or I'm sorry, I think it passed. It must not have been the rollout, or I can't remember. At, at either one, passed or rollout, either way, it was a big deal. And he left us a message saying, thanks so much for all your hard work. I am so happy you're in Vegas. He just, he cared about other people so much more than, than most people. We all thought on this side of the aisle, the Republican side of the aisle, was actually working for uh, State Auditor Connie Noss at the time that Joe Kernan was a slam dunk 2004 Democratic Party gubernatorial nominee. Uh, 
And yet he somewhat shocked the political class, and maybe surprised a few people when he announced he was not going to run to succeed Frank O'Bannon. And to Kip's point, he made a few minutes ago where he, Governor O'Bannon thought that Kernan would be a natural successor and a, and a victorious successor. Jim, I got to go to you first. When you when Joe Kernan made the announcement he was not going to run in 2004 for governor, how did you cover it and what do you remember about it? It ruined my day. Um, <laughs> and, and Tina's. Oh, and not your own, not just you, bro. <laughs> well, yeah, mine for, a different, mine for a different reason, probably. Uh, it was a yeah. Sunday night. I have a clear memory. It was a Sunday night. And for some reason, the Wish TV Christmas party had been moved to a Sunday <laughs> that year. And I was... I was at a Christmas party when I when I got the first uh, inkling of it, and uh, it's like I gotta go. We're going home, and uh, yeah. gotta work. Gotta work the phone. Um, and it it, it was a, an absolute shock, a complete surprise. Kip, have you recovered? Uh, I, I'll never forget where I was when he called me. I was watching the Colts in my basement uh, man room. Uh, he called me to tell me he wasn't going to do it. Um, and um, I was very deeply disappointed. Um, um, short of the night he lost, probably one of the most disappointing moments uh, uh, that I've experienced in politics. But, um, you know, he made the decision um, for reasons um, that he didn't need to be governor. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't that he thought he was going to lose, uh, because it was before Mitch Daniels had even really right. thought about running. And I don't think had Joe Kernan said he was in it, I don't think Mitch Daniels would have run against him. Um, uh, I don't think Mitch would have been persuaded to come back and try to run against Joe Kernan and it would have been a much different, uh, situation all, all the way around. But, uh, Joe, you know, as I said, I think to start it off, he, he was comfortable in his own skin. Uh, he knew who he was. He didn't need the title of governor to um, to define him as a human being. He um, he knew how much work it was going to be. He knew it was an eight year commitment. He knew um, that he wanted to spend some of his life enjoying his life. Um, and some of the things that he anticipated uh, that were going to be troubles when he actually did take the job and and do it were exactly as he thought they were going to be. And that was, uh, our party was divided. Um, uh, he, he, one of the things that frustrated him more than anything was people who didn't weren't team players who didn't look, uh, didn't look at the, didn't look at the ultimate goal, but were more interested in themselves and their own advancement and not uh, being a cog in the, in the team. And he saw a whole bunch of that uh, at the end of, uh, Governor O'Bannon's term, and and I think he said, you know what, I, I don't, I, I don't need this. This is not something I need to do. Okay, um, let me ask you. Let me ask you a quick question. Go ahead, finish, and I want to ask you a question about that. Go yeah. ahead. In the end, after you know he became governor, uh, and there was a bitter fight. I think there was a certain competitive. I mean, there was never a more competitive guy on the planet, but there was also no nobody with more sense of obligation. And I think those two things combined uh, uh, in December. Uh, is when he decided, uh, I don't remember exactly when he decided to run again. I think it was, it was November. It was, yeah, it was right after the November election and uh, right. the mayoral elections. Uh, and he decided to get in. 
uh, I think it was out of sense of obligation and in a sense of competitiveness, both um, that he got back in. Well, let me ask you a quick question. Then I want to get Tina's thoughts. You mentioned just a few minutes ago, and, and I, I say this only because it would seem somewhat counterintuitive in the early two thousands, the Democrats are riding high in Indiana governor. I think you had the house cause John Gregg was speaker. You had the mayor of Indianapolis, you had uh, Evan Bayh in the United States Senate. So you mentioned that the Democrats were divided, and I wouldn't expect you to, to go into great detail, but what were they divided about? And did Joe Kernan just go like, look, I want to be governor, and I don't want to sit there and have to, quote unquote, babysit people who aren't going to be on Team Kernan? Well, just like anything, uh, and I'm sure this is the case right now in the Indiana Republican Party where they have so much control. Once you have control, you have people that are jockeying and angling for positions and trying to be the big dog and trying to, uh, you know, there's a lot of ambition, as I said before. I'm not naming names, but um, the divisions were all, you guys on the other side probably had no idea or had just a small inkling about them, but there, you had, you know, rival um, uh, staffs um, and, you know, and, and those types of things. And Joe Kernan wasn't about that. He couldn't, he didn't have any time for any of that kind of stuff. He didn't ever want to hear about it. He didn't want people not getting along. He did not enjoy um, uh, people not, uh, not swimming on, you know, not, not using the oar to all go in the same direction. Is that fair, Tina? That's fair, but you do, you Kip, uh, you definitely know more about the inner workings and the the infighting. I mean, that was something. Yeah, I I could see. Yeah, you're but only Tina, as good as Tina, your. What are what are your thoughts or what are your memories of of getting the call or the the meeting where he says, "Look, I've decided I just don't want to be governor and I'm not going to run in 2004." Did you have that? Was that message delivered to you personally? Was it a phone call or did you learn when everyone else learned? When Jim Shella told you. No. No, I, uh, I got called into the lieutenant governor's office to sit down one-on-one, and he told me what he had decided. And I, I was upset, obviously, but, uh, you know, it's more sad for the state of Indiana. I, I, in that moment, that's what I thought, that we're about to lose the chance at an incredible person leading the state. Um, but at the same time, and something I wanted to share earlier, you know, about Maggie, he, there was a positive. He got to see Maggie more than, uh, and what I wanted to say earlier was that, you know, we scheduled life around him getting home to South Bend to see Maggie. Uh, she still had a, an executive marketing job in South Bend and she was still in South Bend for the most of the time we were in the Lieutenant Governor's office. So we scheduled his life around let's you're going to get to see Maggie as much as you can. So I was happy for him in that regard, but sad for the state. And I don't want to leave the wrong impression. I don't think it's the main reason he didn't run the the end fighting. It was one of those, one of those straws that kind of was like he had, you know, 10 reasons to run and 15 reasons not to. And it was one of the 15 reasons not to. Well, it wasn't the first one. Indiana is not a very big state until you have to drive it from one end to the other. <laughs> then all of a sudden it becomes Texas. And that's one of the things that when you talk to people who don't who decline to run statewide, it's, yeah. well, yeah, we're not very big, but try going from Fort Wayne to right. Evansville to Richmond to, you know, Terre Haute all in one or two days. Absolutely. I will say this for him, though. He got around faster than most. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, his announcement, 
Jim Shella, his announcement not to run, what did that mean to you as a reporter for the 2004 race? I think Kip's got the chronology right. I don't know that the Mitch Daniels had gotten in. I know he was being courted. I think he was being courted about the time that, that Joe Kernan made his announcement that he wasn't going to run. I think that's 2002. And, yeah. but, but Jim, from a reporter standpoint, are you thinking, oh my, now 2004 is going to be a completely different story because we don't have the 800 pound incumbent gorilla for the D's. Well, and suddenly we had a couple of Democrats running. So we had, we had, you know, there was a, the prospect for a primary on, on the horizon. Um, it, it's, you know, if you're a political reporter, it, it's, uh, it's opportunity, you know, things are, it, it, nothing's predictable, which, uh, it means, uh, there's a good reason why you've got a job. You got things to figure out. Um, but it's not, you know, it's, I never get invested in, in who's in the race or, or who isn't. It's just my job to try to figure out what's going on and inform the public. I will say that, that once, if I can skip ahead, once he got back in it and it was Mitch Daniels against Joe Kernan, um, I have covered several governor's races that were closer than that one. But I don't know that I've covered one that was more hard fought. Um, though, when you talk about uh, Joe Kernan being competitive, uh, Mitch Daniels is is as competitive. And um, I, I always remember uh, I was a panelist on a on a debate, uh, the last of the of the, the gubernatorial debates, uh, and it was at IU Southeast in New Albany, and. Uh, you could cut the tension in that room with a knife. Uh, it, I mean, those two guys were both in it to win, and everybody who was around them w was in it to win. And and there there was uh, very little humor that night. It was serious business. <laughs> well, let's um, uh, very quickly thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guests today are Tina Noel, Kip Two, and Jim Shella. We are talking about the life career and legacy of true Hoosier legend Joe Kernan who passed away just a few days ago. Frank O'Bannon dies on September 13, 2003. Do you remember that day everyone? I'm sure you do. Please talk about how Joe Kernan handled that day and the next few days until he appoints, because I want to make sure we get this in, he appoints Kathy Davis as Indiana's first female lieutenant governor. Uh, Kathy Davis was a previous guest on the Leaders and Legends podcast. She was terrific. She had a great story about how that happened. Uh, Tina, maybe let's go to you first. You were working for him. What was that day like? So the strange, the little blip in my history with Joe is that after he announced he wasn't going to run, uh, I had, you know, I was starting to think about other jobs uh, since uh, I, you know, I planned to work for him as long as he would have me. But somebody at, uh, or I applied for a job at Eli Lilly, and I technically worked for five months for Eli Lilly out of the eight years Joe was in office, one or the one way or the other. So I actually learned of Governor O'Bannon's passing. Uh, sitting in a cubicle in the communications department at Eli Lilly. Um, and somebody else was working in the Lieutenant Governor's office on comms at the time. So I heard it from uh, a new colleague 
but I, and I don't want to go out of order um, because obviously that was a shock and a, and a tragedy. Um, I know, and Kip, you might cover some of this too, but you know, one of the things that uh, I hope that the O'Bannon folks take away is that when Governor O'Bannon, a positive at a minimum, um, is that Joe was there with Governor O'Bannon when he had his stroke in Chicago at a conference. And it was Joe who, and uh, one of our colleagues and the Lieutenant Governor staff, Tom McKenna, who uh, insisted on, you know, this isn't right. Frank O'Bannon's always on time. Uh, something's wrong. And so the hotel staff uh, went up to find out what was going on. Um, so uh, it, it makes my heart a little happy to know that Frank O'Bannon had Joe Kernan with him when he was in very bad shape. Kip? Um, well, obviously, uh, I was at work the day uh, Governor O'Bannon was stricken uh, with, with a stroke. Um, and we, uh, we knew pretty quickly that it was very, very serious and that, um, that it was likely, uh, that Joe was going to step in. So I wasn't surprised, uh, on the day that the call came, I think it was a Saturday or was it, oh, it was a sun, was it a Saturday or Sunday? I think it was, it was a Saturday. Saturday. It, was a Saturday. Yeah, it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday. I was actually running for city county council. Um, and I was out, uh, knocking on doors, <laughs> I remember the neighborhood I was in when when I got the call, uh, and my wife Robin was with me. We were on opposite sides of the street, and she had worked for Governor O'Bannon. Um, and um, we we got the call, and we you know we stopped what we were doing. And um, a couple hours later, or maybe an hour later, uh, we were summoned to the state house uh, for swearing in ceremony. That's that's my recollection. It may not be that good, but that's I remember being in the Supreme Court chamber for the. Uh, for the for the uh, swearing in, and I think it was a couple hours later. Jim, maybe you remember it better than I do. It was a whirlwind for me. Well, yeah, it was it was a um, I rem it was a Saturday. I was at the grocery store, and I got a call saying that uh, you know we'd we'd gotten word that the state police were were getting the O'Bannon family together, um, and so I ran home and uh, uh, you know got ready for work and uh, went straight to the state house and uh, they had announced that he had died by the time I got there. And uh, I started, you know, doing, <laughs> I think eight or 10 hours worth of television at that point. Um, uh, had had uh, really, the, it, this may sound odd, but it was a, it was a pleasure uh, to be there for the swearing in that took place uh, in the Supreme Court chamber because it was so historic. Um, the, it, nothing like this has ever happened before and uh, with any luck it won't happen uh, in the future. But, uh, um, you know, Ted Bohm, State Supreme Court Justice, swore in Joe Kernan as governor and and uh, they, they had met um, when he was backstage at the State Supreme Court and, and O'Bannon, I'm sorry, Ted Bohm had taken a piece of paper and basically sketched out the, the, the choreography. You go here, it, it, it looked like, you know, somebody designing a basketball play or something. You go here, I'll go here, we do this. And, and uh, one of the things I did was uh, after, after the 
inauguration was complete, I asked if I could have that piece of paper so I could show it to the TV audience. And they, they let me have it for just long enough to do that uh, and then took it back because uh, I believe it went to the state Supreme Court archives. Kathy Davis was then nominated and confirmed as Lieutenant Governor, first time in Indiana history. Tina, what did you feel about that? <laughs> and what is it about Joe Kernan who wanted to make that sort of history? You know, before I was joined you today, I was looking back also at something that Joe wrote. Uh, he was the commencement address. He gave the commencement address for Notre Dame at one point. And there's a backstory to that too, but go ahead. Tina. Well, I, you know, that he always chose, I'm going to get upset, but he always chose to do the right thing when he had the opportunity. So Kathy's an example of that. Um, it, of course, it's outstanding that she was the first woman lieutenant governor, um, but she's brilliant. And she, I mean, it was just such a great choice. But I reflect on that commencement address because that it's among the many choices. When he gave that commencement address, he chose that moment. Among, he gave some great and poignant advice, but he also chose that moment uh, to talk about racism and prejudice uh, to this young, impressionable class of Notre Dame graduates. So Kathy is just one of the many times when he chose to do the right thing and uh and she was she was just extraordinary it doesn't you know it was it was so fun and i remember you taught i i that he chose her and then we knew it was going to happen and i didn't know kathy from adam he did he was impressed by her from the get-go he had she had been part of the 20 21st century research and technology fund which invested in startups um, she had been with FSSA, but I met her that night and I just thought, oh my God, these two so brilliant people are here. And Joe is saying to me, okay, we got to prep Kathy for the announcement. And I was like, oh my gosh. And that is, again, he just trusted you. He just trusted you. He made you feel good and confident and smart. And when he said, you can, you know, he's, implying you can do this tina without even saying it that you can prep this woman who is just you know heads above everybody else when it comes to smarts so it was a great choice but one of many when he just did the right thing when given the right the opportunity kip we were do you, kip do you want to give up the backstory to the notre dame speech there were there were people at the university of notre dame who didn't think joe kernan was um a big enough star to be the commencement speaker. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that I'll never get over uh, because me, me I think he, I think he's probably one of the greatest commencement speakers that ever spoke to the university of Notre Dame. He was and governor Dave at had, the time. He was governor at the time or lieutenant governor. He was governor. No, he wasn't governor yet. I don't he think governor he, yet. I think he was what? lieutenant governor. I think, I think right. he was lieutenant governor. So yeah, not big enough for Notre Dame. Um, uh, but I, I, I want to say a, a personal story a little bit about, uh, about Kathy Davis. Uh, I, I remember being, he had a condo uh, downtown and I think it was the glove factory or one of those before downtown exploded in, 
uh, condominiums and lieutenant governors had to find housing themselves when they're lieutenant governor. They don't get a residence. Uh, but so he had this fairly small condo and we were there prepping for uh, the announcement of who was going to be his lieutenant governor candidate. And I, I was helping uh, uh, vet the speech and we're going through the speech and I didn't know who it was. And the speech had her name in it. And I thought it was just a, a, a placeholder because I didn't know who Kathy Davis was. <laughs> and I'm going through the speech. And I'm like, well, are you guys going to tell me who it is? And they go, it's right there on paper. I said, well, who's Kathy Davis? <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, it ended up uh, it ended up being fantastic uh, as, uh, you know, it was. But it was <laughs> it's, it's a small story. He did pluck her out of uh, obscurity, at least in the political world. Obviously, I was. Um, I was deeply involved in the political process in the state of Indiana, and I didn't know who the woman was that he picked to be lieutenant governor. So um, I think she was a city controller for Bart Peterson at the time. Yeah. And, and, and then I uh, remembered, but right now when, was, when I first read it, I was like, who the hell is this? <laughs> right? I thought it was going to be a state senator or a mayor or something like that. So, yes. Yeah. To, to call Kathy Davis a rock star is is probably understating it. She's her resume and personality and kindness, they all speak for themselves. But Joe Kernan then decides to run for governor. And by this time, I think Mitch Daniels is in the race. Yes. Jim, what was it like when you got that news? And then Kip, I want to ask you, because I think you would be state party chairman at the time or just about to be, but Jim, go ahead. Well, that's big news, of course. Um, and uh, it, it led to all sorts of other stories. I mean, Joe Andrew had, had uh, put together a campaign for governor um, and uh, had named Brent Simon to be his running mate, which we, that was a pretty big story. And, and all of a sudden, uh, that's something that, that has to go away. And uh, um, there were a lot of developments there. Um, it, it, uh, I mean, it was a great time to be a political reporter. There was an awful lot of news mm -hmm. taking place on both sides. Well, and Vice Simpson, you can't you can't not mention right. by uh, who was the primary opponent to Joe Andrew right. at the time. Right. But Kip, let me ask you: Was it was running? We we you talked a few minutes ago. Everyone kind of did about Kernan basically kind of having to be talked into running as Frank O'Bannon's uh, lieutenant governor. Did Governor Kernan have to be talked into running for a full term in 2004 and for what he knew was going to have to be a very tough race against Mitch Daniels? Well, um, I was not part of the discussions to try to talk him into it that I recall. Uh, you know, I mean, he he sought my advice as to if he were to make the decision to get in, how was it going to impact uh, the primary that was in the middle of happening. Um, and both Vice Simpson and, and uh, Joe Andrew were friends of mine. It was one of the more difficult times in Indiana politics for me personally. <laughs> uh, when you have to choose between people you really admire and, and want to help, uh, it, it's always hard. Um, but there were lots of people who were concerned about how that primary was unfolding. Uh, and you had an incumbent governor now who was you know uh, there. It was a very awkward, I guess is the best word I can use, awkward time to try to figure it out. And I think some folks approached Joe and, and asked him to try to end the end the fight. Uh, and I think part of what I said earlier is he had, you know, he felt a, a bit of an obligation. Um, it was easier, I think, talking Joe Andrew 
out of the governor's race than it was talking by out. Um, it took a little bit longer um, uh, to uh, do that. And I think the Indianapolis Star, I think, did a story uh, probably about a month ago now right. uh, about that. Um, and, and Vi had some uh, very interesting comments uh, about that time. She probably uh, would be a great guest for you to uh, uh, talk to as well, particularly about that that particular t- time in history. It took a couple of conversations for sure. Um, uh, and, you know, I don't, I, I don't have a particular memory of us going, this has got to be something you do since he'd already decided he wasn't going to do it. Right. And it, I think it was just a bit of an evolution in his thinking as to what the best thing was. Jim, we have just a few more minutes left, about five or 10 minutes, but Jim, your recollections of the 2004 campaign. I mean, it was a real clash of Titans after, you know, 90, 96, no, 92 was, was a, a buy washout 2000 O'Bannon wins easily. 96 is relatively close, but so now you're set up for, you know, Lakers Celtics and <laughs> what was it like to cover that? And was there, was the election in your mind in doubt until the very end? No, I don't think I don't think it was. Uh, to tell the truth, Mitch Daniels ran a textbook campaign, um, and uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, this is maybe not the time or place, but but I think the Kerning campaign, uh, <clears throat> if they had it to do over again, they would have done it differently. <clears throat> I think uh, there, there's been a lot said uh, about how the, the public didn't really get to know Joe Kernan during that campaign. Um, I, he, he clearly, they, they felt like they were behind and, and they ran a negative campaign aimed at, at Mitch Daniels. And we didn't get any, any, uh, warm and fuzzy ads until the last couple of weeks. Um, so it, 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 it was, I think your memory is a little faulty on that. The first ad we did was an introductory ad about him being a Vietnam vet, veteran, uh, POW, and he had some of his, uh, one of the guys who was a uh, prisoner of war with him uh, talk. Those were some of the first ads. So we we did do warm and fuzzy to begin with. But I, I think your central point is right. Uh, yeah. But that's yeah. probably a discussion for another time. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, if you're looking at if you're looking at strategies, um, that's a great campaign to look at from both sides. Um, if you're looking at, you know, whether or not uh, that was a difficult choice for the voters. I think, I think those were two quality candidates. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the public would have been served no matter who won. Jim was, was governor Kernan tough to cover, tough to criticize given his personality and, and, you know, almost incomparable personal history. Like when you run up against this sort of thing, and I think I may have asked this to you when you came on the podcast, is it just, are you just a professional doing a job or do you look at Joe Kernan and you're like, man, it, it's going to be tough for me to stick it to him because what a great guy and Lord knows he served his country. Well, and he had a, a demeanor that w- was no nonsense. I mean, I think if you, if you went to Joe Kernan with a question, you better, you better have a point to it and, and know what you're, you're, you're doing. Um, but I got along great with him. I, I mean, he's, you know, when you, 
there's a Facebook page that's been created now, Memories of Joe Kernan, and, and most of them are about how kind and how funny he was. And, and there was always an element of that. Um, and and I, I enjoyed covering it. Um, I, you know. Tina, what would you say would be uh, Governor Kernan's, Joe Kernan's strongest accomplishments as governor? As governor, um, you know, it felt like a whirlwind because we tried to accomplish a lot in the short time before he became governor. Um, uh, pushing for full day kindergarten, um, trying to make higher ed more accessible, more affordable, expanding uh, community college to more people across the state. Um, Boy, he had things like uh, buy it. I'm going to get the name wrong, but he had a, a program to encourage people to, or through the state, uh, a buy Indiana program to uh, drive more dollars into Indiana companies. Um, those are just some of the things off the top of my head. I mean, it was a whirlwind. It felt like we were announcing initiatives every day. I mean, Kathy and Joe worked on a peak performance project, which was to help streamline government, keep costs lower. Um, you know, he really tried to accomplish a lot in that short time. And again, it was what he enjoyed. It was being governor versus running for governor. 2004, Mitch Daniels defeats Joe Kernan. Just a few years later, Joe Kernan comes back to be co-chair of the Kernan Shepherd Commission to look at government reform, government restructuring. What does that say? And I'll ask you, Tina, what does that say about Joe Kernan that he would be willing to do that? Well, it says two things. One, of course, he's working. He is willing to work with anyone to make the state of Indiana better. I will say, though, it had a lot to do with Chief Justice Randy Shepard. He really admired him. Um, so I think that was definitely a lure. Uh, but I just think he's willing to do anything to uh, uh, achieve something that makes people's lives in Indiana better. Jim, what is it? What is it? What was it like when? Because I think I was the comms director at the Republican Party when that was announced. What was it like when? Joe Kernan comes back in the state house or the governor's office. I forget exactly where the introductory press conference was. And, and there he is. Did he, was it fun to see him again? And do you remember if he said anything to you? I, I don't have any specific memories uh, from that, but it, of course it was, I mean, a big surprise, you know, this, like I said, that was, that was a, a hard fought race. And there was every reason to believe that Mitch Daniels and Joe Kernan had hard feelings toward one another. And, and the fact that, that Mitch Daniels would turn to Joe Kernan uh, for help and the fact that Joe Kernan would accept, I, I, I thought was an amazing development. Um, although I, I will say, you know, despite the hard fought nature of the 2004 race, uh, you could tell that Mitch Daniels uh, had admiration for Joe Kernan. He, he several times referred to him as my governor. Uh, and he knew that the public held Joe Kernan in high esteem and, and that even though they were tough on the issues, uh, this was a guy who he had to, to, to show respect for. 
Kip, do you want to weigh in real quick before we wrap up here in a few minutes? I don't want this. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you personally, I, I, I suggested Joe not do it. I thought he was going to get, he was being used and he didn't take my advice, of course, um, because he's a better man than I. Um, and he was trying to do what was best for the state of Indiana. Um, uh, it, to me, it was an indication by Mitch Daniels that, uh, that the person that he had vanquished uh, was every bit as capable as he was. Uh, and I should have looked at it that way myself when, when I heard it, but instead I just, I took the most cynical uh, view of it, um, which is not my nature. <laughs> oh, uh, Laura, Laura Beck, uh, did you hear that? Ed Tracy, Joel Miller, weigh in, please. Um, you know, uh, it, it's just another indication of the strength of, of Joe Kernan's character that despite some of his friends telling him, don't, don't get in that thicket because the other thing I told him is all you're going to do in this thing is make enemies because you're going to be telling people that they shouldn't have a job anymore. Um, but he took it anyway, because he thought it was in the best interest of the state. It was a way uh, to show that uh, people who had tough fights can still come together and try to do something for the good of good of the state. Uh, it, it was totally in character with Joe Kernan and his life story to have done it. And um, even if Mitch Daniels' only reason to do it was cynical, it was still a brilliant political move on Mitch Daniels' part. We usually end the podcast with five questions, but that's not necessarily appropriate today. So I'm going to ask two or three quick questions and with, just to get uh, very quick answers, maybe one word if you can do it, and then we'll wind up. Tina Noel, what made Joe Kernan mad? Does this have to be one word? <laughs> no, not necessarily for this question or any of them. You could say reporters. No, I, 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 say please, USC. please don't, please don't think I'm making this up. When I was out walking this morning, picking up trash because it's something Joe recommended or didn't No, that's not recommended. He led by example. That was a big thing for Joe. It's not, he said, you should pick up trash. He did it. So you wanted to do it. But I was trying to think what he just didn't ever get angry at people. He knew if you did something wrong, I just couldn't, I am not making up that I can't think what made him mad. Um, I can. I'm going to have to pass. Okay. See, I mean, oh, how about a, a Notre Dame loss? And I'll tell the, how about Notre Dame loss is one word. However, I'm going to tell a funny story tied to it that I haven't, I think I alluded to somewhere, but um, he, we, we would get a Christmas tree donated every year, the Lieutenant Governor's office, because he was the head of agriculture, uh, one of the uh, Hag related industries. I can't, uh, it's awful that I can't remember which one. They would bring a Christmas tree, donated one to our office every year. And on there would be some Notre Dame ornaments. And then we had a football, former football player from the University of Alabama was on our staff. And there'd be a Notre Dame ornament and an Alabama ornament. And somehow the, the Alabama ornament would be broken. And, <laughs> Nobody would claim who did that, but we all knew who broke the Alabama ornament. So I'm just going to go with Notre Dame loss because for being mad because I can't, I can't picture it. Kip, what, what made Joe Kernan laugh? 
Oh, I thought I was going to answer that question. Uh, oh, my God. So many things made Joe Kernan laugh. Uh, he had the greatest sense of humor of anybody I've ever met. Um, uh, <laughs> I will tell you what made him mad. Slow and indecisive drivers. Um, uh, definitely made you're him, right. You're right. Definitely made him you're mad. Right. He got really mad at me one time, but you don't have time for that story. It had it involved the, 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 the gubernatorial debate. I'll tell the story some other time. He was very mad at me. Can we just do a whole podcast on things that people get mad at Kip Two about? <laughs> Other than his cynicism. Other than um, you know, he he could laugh at just about it. He could make a joke about anything. He he could make he did make gentle fun of people. Uh, very few, I think, very very few people that he made fun of uh, got upset by it. Uh, he knew how to. He knew how to make fun of you, and you you had just had to laugh about it. Um, uh, so, his, it, I you know it's too hard to describe his sense well, of humor can, other than it was wonderful. Let Let me pick up right there because the the one lasting memory that a lot of people have of Joe Kernan is when he showed up at a press club gridiron dinner uh, in a in a yellow tuxedo uh, that I think maybe he wore at the prom or some such thing. It was, it was something that apparently came out of his closet, but it was three sizes too small. And, and when he got up to the, to the rostrum to, to make a presentation, one of the people he made fun of was, uh, uh, the former attorney general, Jeff Modisette, who, you know, Joe Kernan was bald. Jeff Modisette had this huge comb over and and he made a crack about Monaset's comb over and and said what he needed to do was get a haircut like his and he took a pitcher of water and he poured it over his head <laughs> and said see i can do this <laughs> i am going to end the, the podcast with uh, our podcast about joe kernan with my one and only joe kernan story which uh, I know at least two of you have probably heard before, but it's very special to me. Um, and it takes place in a bar. And that is the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn. It has trivia there the Friday, last Friday of every month. And in 2007, I received a phone call from the absolutely amazing and wonderful Casey Kendrick, who used to work for Governor Kernan. And she said the governor and Maggie will be at trivia tonight and she was going with um, some friends and I said oh that's terrific I need to make sure I say something I get there it's a it's a relatively big crowd uh, for the golden ace there's probably 40 50 people there but I get there very early and the governor and and Maggie and Casey and Kevin Murray who we all know and uh, the Laramores were there and I'm not in the ace more than 10 seconds and you know I start getting lit up pretty hard about being a Republican and I just left the Republican party to go work for Shield Sexton. Um, and it's all in fun and it's all a good time. And we're all joking and laughing. And it's the first time I'd ever shaken uh, Joe Kernan's hand. And I said, you know, governor, I said, I think there may be a way that I can change your opinion about me. And he had a flashed kind of a smile and goes, it's going to take a lot. <laughs> this is a man I've known all of three minutes. And um, I took off the uh, POW bracelet that I had had for several years uh, that I had worn, even when I used to go on TV representing the Republican party, I wore a Joe Kernan POW bracelet. And my boss at the time, Murray Clark, never once told me I couldn't wear it. And I took it off and I gave it to him. And the look on his face 
I'll never forget. It was one of deep humility and the look on Maggie Kernan's face, whom I had never met, was probably more shock and awe than anything else. She was very touched by it, as she told me. Uh, the other people on the, at the table had no idea that I had this bracelet either. And I managed to get the last word. <laughs> and Governor Kernan wore that his POW bracelet for the entire evening. And, huh. gave, and at the end of trivia, about two or three hours later, he came up, he put his arm around me and he said, this means a lot, Robert. Thank you. And we can't say enough about Joe Kernan and his career and his service and his sacrifice. And that just short story, just those few minutes that I stood talking to him is something that I will never forget. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall, and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney, and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guests today have been Tina Noel, Kip Two, and Jim Shella, and we have discussed the life, legacy, career, impact, and warmth of Governor Go Joe Kernan. Thank you both. Thank you all very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Robert, for shining the spotlight on a wonderful person. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.